Hello. Hello. Um, next episode of Recreation Therapy, A Canadian Perspective. I'm Mary Doolittle, and today I'm joined by Thana Wassalu, our first, my first guest from uh, the territories, who is from the Yukon, uh, where she lived for the past, where she lives for the past six years. I'm very excited about this episode because I know very little about the Yukon and Thane and I discovered uh, that we have a Vancouver Island connection. Thane grew up in Comox and I moved to Comox in 95 where I lived off and on uh, until 2013 and went to elementary school, middle school, high school. What high school did you go to? Highland? I went to Highland Secondary. Yeah, same. Okay. (laughs) And then... um, yeah, my parents still live there. My brother and his family live there. So a disclaimer before we start is that I'm currently working as a recreation therapist for Fraser Health, and my views are my own and not reflective of my employer. Dana is a recreation therapist at the Thompson Center, which is one of the four long-term care facilities within the health and social services branch of the Yukon government. Dana has six years of experience working in long-term care and has worked in three out of four of the facilities. Prior to that, she was working within the field um, in various roles, including auxiliary on-call activity worker, rehab assistant, auxiliary on-call recreation therapist on Vancouver Island in the Comox Valley, um, which she was born and raised. And whereabouts um, were you working as a recreation therapist there? Um, So as a recreation therapist, I would sometimes fill in um, at the Cumberland Lodge was the main long-term care home uh, yeah. that I worked at. And so, yeah. It's the views, right? Uh, nope. Oh, um, the Cumber- yeah, it was referred to as the Cumberland Lodge. The views is the one that's in Comox. Specifically. Okay. Did you work with a recreation therapist named Jody? Yes. Jody Powell? Yeah. Yes, when I, I did. volunteering before to get my hours for school, I met her. Oh, lovely. Yes, we actually used to work together at Cumberland um, for a time period. So, yeah, she's lovely. Yes, small world. Okay, I'll continue with the introduction. Dana um, <laughs> obtained her BA in TR from Douglas College in June 2013, uh, which was the year I started my degree. And her support areas include child and youth, mental health, and physical rehabilitation. Dana completed her 16-week internship in Salt Lake City, Utah at Camp Costopolis Dream Foundation, um, working with a variety of ages and levels and abilities. Um, Dana has been a longtime community volunteer in different capacities currently. Dana is a volunteer coach in the Yukon and has been coaching for the past six years. Prior to moving to the Yukon, uh, Thana volunteered with BC Special Olympics team on Vancouver Island. And Thana currently sits on the board of directors for Recreation Parks Association Yukon and has involvement um, on the Douglas College Therapeutic Recreation Program Advisory Committee. I actually told uh, Trisha Rashval that I was going to be talking with you. And she was like, yeah, she's on the committee. <laughs> um, okay, so how did your career path lead you to the UConn? Well, like you mentioned, Mary, I graduated in 2013. And when I first got out of school, I was originally working for 
the long-term care home within Vancouver Island Health Authority, as well as a private long-term care home. And you mentioned the positions um, that I held. Um, the recreation therapist and supervisor that I worked with at the Cumberland Lodge um, had been a great mentor for me throughout my time in school um, and during the early stages of my career. She actually was the one that also helped me out with my volunteer hours um, prior to going into the program at Douglas. Um, Oh, you're coming out a little okay, bit. So she knew that it was going to only be a temporary position. Oh. Um, her and I had a discussion and knew that it was always going to be a temporary position for me and that when the opportunity presented itself, uh, a full-time recreation therapist, um, she kindly gave me many opportunities to practice my skills such as assessments, program protocols, attending care conferences, and care plan reviews and taking the lead on some projects, which helped with the motivation of achieving that goal of working as a full-time RT. Um, I had a friend um, who was a fellow student from Douglas working up in the Yukon and I came to visit her the fall of September, 2014. And during my visit, I actually had the opportunity to volunteer um, for one of her events called Run. The Silver Fox that raised money and acknowledge. Yeah, it's an event that raised is money and acknowledges the challenges and accomplishments of what Terry Fox went through. But um, it's your version, I guess. And during that event, I had the opportunity to meet a lot of coworkers that she had the opportunity to work with, as well as through social gatherings throughout the trip and got a little bit of a glimpse of what the lifestyle was like in the Yukon. Later that February, I woke up one morning and I had multiple messages from my friend as well as some of the friends that I met in the Yukon about a position that was posted for a maternity leave um, for a full-time recreation therapist. I applied on the opportunity and discovered after interviews that I was moving up to the Yukon as of May 2015. Originally, it was a temporary position um, because it was a mat leave. However, during my first six months, there were it ended up turning into a full-time position offer as of November 2015. Nice. And is that the friend that connected us? What's her name? Um, no, that's actually a different friend. So Jillian okay. is one of the friends that I met up here, but um, um, who was the main connection that got me up here? Oh, I, you just cut out when you said that person's name. Oh, I said my friend Justine was the um, friend that um, made the connection between me and you. Okay, nice. And um, we'll pass. You're, you're cutting out a little bit, but it's not too bad. Sorry. No, that's totally fine. You're in the Yukon, so I mean, we're talking. That's good. And yeah, I'm, internet can be sparse up here. <laughs> yeah, we'll blame it on that. And then um, I'm happy we don't have a power outage because we're having another big storm up here tonight. Um, okay. Whereabouts specifically are you in the Yukon? So I live in Whitehorse, which is okay. the capital city of the Yukon. The big city, hey? What's the population? <laughs> Good question. That's in my next statement. Oh, okay. The population is... 42,986 people. 
big yeah big <laughs> that's smaller than the Comox Valley <laughs> yeah yeah we'll get into that <laughs> okay okay um okay so next question um can you speak a bit about the landscape climate and culture in the Yukon yeah so the is very well known for its breathtaking scenery, endless summer days, and very long winter nights. To paint a picture, geographically speaking, the Yukon is about the same size as Spain for a landmark. Um, the Yukon landscape is full of rugged mountainous terrain and high plateaus. Uh, much of the Yukon territory remains untouched with natural beauty of forested air areas as well as the wilderness natural wilderness areas including many lakes and rivers and that's actually where the Yukon gets its name it's named after the Yukon River um, which in Gwich'in First Nations language means river it is the oh no you cut up peak and largest Sorry. ice fields as well as the world I I got up to the part where you said um, in First Nations language. Oh, okay. Um, in First Nations language um, for the uh, Yukon Territory. Um, the Yukon's Canada's highest peak, Mount Logan, uh, largest ice fields, and the world's smallest desert. Um, Lots of wildlife um, array and roam throughout the Yukon Territory. Caribou, bison, you name it. And many consider the Yukon an outdoor enthusiast year-round adventure park. Um, I mentioned what the population of the Yukon is. 42,986 people. 75% are the surrounding areas and then our next biggest town is about five hours away uh, and it's a population of 1300 and that's Dawson City. Um, it's often been said that and a been a bit of a running joke that the there is more news than there is actually a people. Uh, I think the current or, oh, I think one of the more recent totals is 70,000. Um, the Yukon is well known for its diverse indigenous cultures. There are 14 first in the territory, sorry. which comprises about 30% of the Yukon population. Yeah, 14. So there are 14 First Nations represented in the territory, which comprises about 30% of the population. 11 of the 14 First Nations groups have signed what they call a self-government, which means they have the responsibility and control with how they run their own resource management, um, economic, social programs, the combining of traditional activities on land with entrepreneurial opportunities, as well as administration business opportunities and government and tourism. Many First Nations um, groups welcome visitors and tourism with open arms, and they take pride in showing the traditions and the meanings behind their culture. Um, they also take pride in that the younger generations are 
embraced with their traditional cultures and that elders are able to pass on um, those stories and teachings down to that next generation. Um, First Nations artwork is very popular in the Yukon. Carvers and weavers, sewers, beaters, sculptors, painters, dancers, drummers, filmmakers, they all draw on the inspiration from the land, culture, languages, history, and communities to communicate as well as advocate um, to audiences worldwide. Climate-wise, I know you asked about that, um, winters are long and dark here, and temperatures can drop to minus 40 degrees Celsius, with sometimes the highs of minus 13 degrees. Um, It's often a time where Yukoners retreat to the indoors, but they also appreciate the outdoor lifestyle where in the winter they go dog sledding, eating, skating, you name it. It's also a very good opportunity to see the Yukon's natural beauty of the Northern Lights. Summers are short, but they seem long because we actually have 24-hour daylight for a good chunk of the summer, which is where the Yukon gets its name of the land of the midnight sun. Temperatures can reach up to high 20s and sometimes 30s, but it often averages between um, 14 and 20 degrees. Um, One of the benefits um, with having those very long days of light is that after you get off work, it seems like you have a whole day to play and um, go enjoy some sort of recreation activities, whether it's camping, paddling, fishing, hiking, or biking. Um, and yeah, the other thing that I would say that's really significant for the Yukon is just the Yukoners way of living. Um, it was much different back in the day, but the Yukon is famous for the gold rush times, um, which initiated some of the well-known historical individuals and community members that are referred to as the colorful 5%, but these unique individuals were, um, ones that helped shape the Yukon's territory and some of its traditions. Things weren't necessarily easy back in the day. Uh, many uh, residents that I work with have talked about living in the bush and living off the land and had limited access to town resources. People at times were secluded and isolated. We got to secluded and isolated. Sorry, Thana, you're, you're cutting, cutting out quite a bit. So we got until um, secluded and isolated if you want to start again. Okay. They can be secluded and isolated at times. Some folks talk about the times where um, they got to the opportunity to travel by dog sled to go get their groceries or traveled by steamboat, which is always entertaining to hear about and many of these lifestyle choices have highly influenced today's culture here in the Yukon and the traditions and what we still see today. I want to come visit but I'm afraid I might end up living there. (laughs) It I have to admit um, it has happened Um, (laughs) after you spend a year up here you usually get suckered in for a few more unless something happens. Yeah. Well, yeah, I've heard that the 
people are very friendly. And mm -hmm. I mean, you come from the island where people are pretty friendly as well. Yeah. Um, okay, so in your opinion, oh, and I just want you to know that, like, I got everything you were saying. So when you do cut out, I let you know. <laughs> okay, perfect. Okay. Um, in your opinion, what are the greatest challenges and opportunities for recreation therapy in the Yukon? Um, so one thing, I would say one of the biggest struggles, um, or can be the biggest struggle here in the Yukon, is accessibility. Um, accessibility will vary at different times of the year. In the winter, the snow and the cold can be factors that limit the ability to get to different places. Access to buildings can be limited as well, especially um, in the older areas of town. Some of the historic sites um, aren't as accessible um, for folks. The government is, though, working towards on minimizing these situations with utilizing new building code expectations and trying to repair or rebuild opportunities um, so that the Yukon is more inclusive. Another factor is some, another factor can be the limited awareness behind what accessibility actually means. Um, so the Yukon has done some great projects where they have worked towards making certain parks, trails, and campgrounds more accessible. However, sometimes the material of choice that they use, um, for example, something like gravel for a pathway, Mm -hmm. um, it might be accessible for someone who has really good upper body strength and can push their way through. But for someone that is limited in upper body mobility, the struggle is still there. And so I think that is an opportunity where the, you can, can grow, um, in that regards. I'm actually currently in the process of taking a course called inclusion U, um, which I believe is done through the States. I think it's North Carolina, but it was a, highlighted during a webinar series a couple years ago and I'm hoping that might be able to give me a few skills or tricks where I awareness of what full accessibility looks like no matter what kind of ability you have um, but I do honestly think that the community um, motivation is there to implement changes and make things more accessible it's just a matter of ensuring everyone's needs are recognized um, and everyone can enjoy similar opportunities um, another, um, challenge would be, I think one of the barriers, is, which I'm sure other places in Canada experience as well, is just having a lack of understanding and awareness about all the services that recreation therapy can offer. And so trying to advocate on where we can help, I think is really key coming up here in the next few years um yukon to make recreation and well-being services available to all yukoners it's more a matter of making them aware how our service can help as well as how we can get involved with either already um established organizations or if we need to um create new projects um i would say some of our gaps here um, that could use our resources, our mental health, um, even developmental dis adaptive recreation. Um, I think there, the culture 
has a really good opportunity for making those things happen. However, the actual resources to support those areas is very limited right now. We actually can often see quite a few cases of like mental health within our long-term care facilities here just because many don't have any other place to go. And so that's where people try to help. That being one benefit of the Yukon is we do have quite um, the opportunity to work with a variety of therapists. So each facility here has access to an occupational therapist, a speech and language pathologist, social workers, physiotherapy, um, which is wonderful uh, that we have these resources because not everywhere does, but it does also provide um, for some struggles where a lot of those jobs will overlap with ours in some capacities and um, trying to figure out where, how to collaborate um, as well as make sure that we're able to utilize our full scope of practice can be a challenge at times. Yeah, I feel like that's everywhere. Yeah, um, yeah it's nice when you find colleagues that like to work together. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so uh, we kind of chatted um, about how you're a recreation therapist. So when was uh, CTRS um, level of competency instated and requ- as, a, as the required uh, qualifications for your position? Um, and Sorry, I'm stuttering. Um, And do you think this has made it harder to fill positions in the Yukon? So can you speak a bit about, oh, and then can you speak a bit about what your day-to-day looks like? So we kind of talked about um, when we chatted before on email how um, CTRS level was required for the Yukon government rec therapist Mm -hmm. positions, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so I did a little bit of research into that because I actually got up into the Yukon as of 2015, but... Um, when talking with some co-workers, we believe that the hiring qualifications changed somewhere around the year of 2013. Prior to 2013, though, their position of recreation therapist um, still existed. It consisted of individuals who had uh, education related to recreation therapy or some sort of recreation and leisure studies, similar to other areas of Canada where you get grandfathered into those opportunities. Um, sorry, I lost my spot. Um, between the years of 2013 and 2017-18, most recreation therapists were hired Um, had the bachelor's degree of therapeutic recreation, as well as their CTRS certification. And most of us maintained some kind of professional membership, whether it was through CTRA, BCTRA, TRO, ATRA, etc. At times, hiring in the North can be quite challenging, especially if it happens to be for a temporary position of six months to a year, individuals have to be willing to adopt the Yukon lifestyle and climate. And then often um, they also have to move away from their families and loved ones. And trying to find housing up here can also propose some challenges to um, hiring individuals. Throughout the years, many of us RTs have had the opportunity to supervise up and coming RT students through the professional practicums and internship placements. Through these opportunities, we started to notice 
the pattern where some of the students were looking into obtaining their certification through the equivalency path in comparison to the ac academic path um, through NCTRC. Recognizing these patterns around 2019, the hiring qualifications changed slightly. Um, both the academic and the equivalency pathways were accepted along with um, having your completion of the CTRS certification and still maintaining some kind of professional membership within Canada. This has helped the hiring process a bit over the years. However, we still seem to struggle with turnover for various um, unpredictable reasons. All forms of the qualifications that have um, that I've mentioned have been beneficial through the system. Um, like other areas of Canada, as the profession continues to grow and change, the expectations and qualifications for hiring will continue to develop. Um, like most team environments, we all have different experiences and come from different backgrounds of careers. And having those different practices and understandings has made the team more adaptable, inclusive, resourceful, and knowledgeable. One of the main benefits, though, that I would say to having individuals recognize the CTR certification as part of the qualification is that it provides a level of standards and expectations that all of our practices um, can abide by, and it provides structure and protection, which I'll highlight more in later questions. Yes, Raina, uh, yes. before you move on to the second part of the question, I just have a couple thoughts, but keep going. Yes. Okay. You can go ahead if you want to go with the thoughts first. Okay, thoughts. I, I write down thoughts. I, I feel like I'm going to keep my rough paper of all my uh, podcasts because I just write little notes when people talk. Um, so I like that the qualifications are CTRS. And I know in Eastern Canada, it's the same in like Nova Scotia and Newfoundland. And then you think like if the Yukon and the Eastern provinces can have these like, why can't rest the rest of Canada, especially for like health authority or government jobs. And yeah. then um, I know you were at the, the BCTRA AGM. Oh, mm -hmm. I did my presentation for the Alberta one. Okay. So I did, um, I worked on research around titles in rec therapy. So I kind okay. of got, like fixated on um, acronyms and stuff like that. And uh, I find RT to be pretty traditional, like, because I don't know if you find this, but it's more referred to um, in bigger populations like BC and stuff like that as um, for respiratory therapists. And, yeah. then, and then rec T being for recreation therapists. Do you find that? Because I find so, at it was in Health, a lot of people still refer to as RT. Well, it's actually interesting that you say that because me and my friend were talking about that yesterday when I was reviewing some of my information for the questions. And from our experience, the term rec T seems to be newer and we weren't quite familiar with it. So throughout our experience of going through school or college or even work experience it always has been referred to as RT but I can see and understand the confusion and we did make that um, acknowledgement that maybe it is too confusing with respiratory therapists and so it is interesting that you do bring that up because that was a new acronym that uh, a few of us weren't quite familiar with but as we've seen more of our students come up it is something that gets used a little bit more. Wonderful. Okay, we can move on now. <laughs> you can tell me <laughs> 
I get fixated on it. Um, you can it, tell me a bit about your day, what your day to day looks like. Yeah. So my day to day kind of it depends on because each day can be a different day. But typically, I start off with the morning of going into work and checking emails and reading up on chart notes. Um, we then follow up with a team meeting um, with myself, the recreation therapy assistants, as well as the care coordinators and nursing supervisors, where we do a bit of a brief morning report and review all the residents and what their status is like, just in case anything happened throughout the evening or over the weekend that we need to adapt to. Um, and then following that, um, I usually uh, try to do some office work and that can incorporate doing assessments at times where I will go meet with residents to gather the information or other times it's organizing the calendar or connecting with community members to create opportunities. Sometimes it's even just collaborating with the other recreation therapists. I would say that's one nice thing um, that the Yukon does have is that we do have a really good cohort of recreation therapists within the long-term care system and um, we use each other's um, as resources quite frequently and so it's great when it comes to planning larger events and items um yeah and then in the afternoon usually there is within that time frame I'm usually doing a review on a particular resident because we usually have care conferences happening in the afternoon or we do care plan reviews which are basically our bible in some cases um to how we care for the residents and it lists the expectations of the different ways that we need to care to their needs, um, which is really great because it highlights a lot of person-centered care approaches um, from all team members as opposed to just specific teams. Um, and then, yeah, after that is usually charting and um, finishing up any um, assessment details I have to for that day. And sometimes it the day also incorporates meetings with managers or other therapists and colleagues um it kind of really depends it can go one way or the other so your role is quite clinical um do you also like are you in charge of the budget and any like program planning or calendars so yes i am the main go-to for um the program or each recreation therapist is responsible for the program planning and with regards to what goes on the calendar. However, we do have quite a good team of resources in the Yukon of other professionals that we collaborate with to include within our programs, which I highlight later in a couple other questions. Um, but with regards to the budget, we have a supervisor that is above us within recreation therapy. And we usually collaborate with them with regards to our budget. They're the ones that maintain our budget, but they also get guidance from upper management in regards to what our budget is. And we kind of do a collaboration approach. Nice. And how is programming different in long-term care in the Yukon versus BC? Uh, can you give some examples? Yeah. So... Um, at times, obtaining resources for programs can be quite challenging here in the Yukon in comparison to BC, just due to the nature of being a small northern town. Things like craft supplies that you would typically get from a Dollarama for 
cheap prices will be more expensive and challenging to locate here in Whitehorse. And so sometimes we're having to um, order supplies online from resources like Amazon, which can take quite a bit of time. And therefore, we often have to be fairly organized when it comes to planning for our programs on a monthly basis. And we have to plan ahead early or be adaptive with the supplies that we have on hand and try to make similar opportunities um, out of what is available, basically. Um, that being said, the Yukon is a very involved community and many local businesses, professionals, nonprofit groups, community events and volunteers have gone out of their way to partner with the recreation teams to ensure that residents have opportunities to engage in many of their past recreation and leisure pursuits. This can be from um, a trip to Lumel Studios, which is a glass blowing place where residents can um, create their own piece of artwork to a professional coming in from the community to lead a pottery class session, which um, can last up to a three week, four week process, depending on what the funding's like. We've partnered with the Wildlife Conservation um, Department to provide us samples of fur to create stimu um, stimulation kits for seniors that would benefit from the touch of a variety of furs. They've also done multiple presentations on um, different aspects such as hunting and um, we've had the bird observatory, observatory there we go, um, <laughs> come in to um, give presentations on that as well. And so, um, yeah, it's really great to see the community come together and make these opportunities really special for the residents. Another consideration in the Yukon that we have to address is cultural safety. Long-term care typically has an institutional-like atmosphere, which can be very triggering for many residents, family members, staff, and even depending on what a resident or staff or family member's past um, career or profession was. Um, even if certain measures are in place to provide um, safety, um, living in these type or living in these types of environments can be very overstimulating and trigger some traumatic memories from the past. When looking at person-centered care, it's really important to identify different adaptations that we can do to address these safety concerns in creative ways that support the residents' needs and their overall holistic health. And one example that I can think of for that is like a call bell system. Sometimes the sound of a call bell can trigger a type of memory. And so in order to adapt that, one thing we've done is um, we've been able to monitor the sound of the call bell system and make it silent where staff are notified by a light as opposed to a sound. And then they can address the residents' needs as needed um, if something happens. Um, it is important with to recognize and balance the views of multiple different cultures as many individuals have had different experiences and upbringings um, and that will vary from person to person. Additionally, as a profession, we must consider approaching programming from a position of equity versus equality. And as an RT, this can be very challenging when um, 
You want to ensure that everyone's cultural needs are being met. Luckily in the Yukon, we do have the pleasure of having a position called a First Nations liaison worker who works as part of our care team and they assist us in meeting those needs, which is wonderful. Today as recreation therapists, we continue to work on collaborations with the First Nations liaison worker team to incorporate traditional programs, ceremonies, and events into our monthly calendars. For example, we often facilitate traditional feasts, sometimes a drumming circle. We've taken residents on berry picking outings, as well as living on the land outings where they'll have to pick a variety of things from their natural environment and we cook it over the campfire. Um, as an RT, I am motivated to learn about these practices and traditions so that we can have them more ingrained within our long-term care homes as we're trying to make it a more home-like atmosphere. However, I also, as an individual of Caucasian descent, I'm still discovering times where I'm needing more education and support to ensure that I'm delivering these traditional opportunities in a respectful and comfortable manner for our residents. Um, another lifestyle we must consider here in the Yukon is just the typical Yukoner lifestyle. Like I mentioned in the second question, um, Yukon has a variety of unique individuals and they were a major influence um, with what Yukon lifestyle is today. However, we need to remember that back in the day, sometimes they used to live in the bush and be out on the land at times and had limited resources. And so we need to incorporate programs that match those routines that aren't necessarily the typical programs you think of when you think of long-term care. Um, for instance, someone that lives in the bush probably wouldn't necessarily be interested in joining a curling program or they'd rather do something along the lines of maybe creating something out of work during a woodworking class or helping um, the maintenance men fix something if it is doable. And so it's about understanding who your um, residents are and making sure you incorporate um, the appropriate opportunities and being comfortable with the fact that if someone decides to be in their room a lot of the time, it doesn't mean it's necessarily a bad thing. They're not isolating themselves. That's just their typical um, routines that they're used to. And so it's really important as an RT to recognize those activities and try to incorporate them into our programs the best we can. I mean, we've taken residents to the dog sledding um, tourism company so that they get the opportunity to interact with the dogs. They don't necessarily get to do dog sledding, but they get the sensory stimulation opportunities and get to connect with the community members to relive some of those experiences. That's amazing. I wrote down many things, so I will okay. we'll talk about it. I feel like this conversation might go a little long, so let me know if you need to cut it off for a bathroom break. Okay. Um, yeah, because I think you're an hour ahead of me. But okay. yeah. <laughs> so um, that's cool about the call bells. I actually watched a TED talk I really liked about it was all about that. So about um, mm -hmm. silence in hospitals. Uh, I'll send it mm -hmm. to you. I'll find it. I'll send it to you. Oh, nice. Yeah. And then um, can you speak a bit about equity versus equality? Well, I guess with regards to that, it's more so coming at it from an open mind 
in the sense that we try to provide equality um, to the best that we can. However, we will come to those ethical situations where depending on certain circumstances or guidance that we're getting, we might have to prioritize certain tasks or projects over what we might think is the priority. Does that make sense? Yes. Yep. Okay. And Um, so it's just a matter of coming at that with an open mind and realizing that you're trying to do your very best to meet the residents' needs. And sometimes you have to alter those priorities so that the needs can be met. And it's not necessarily that you're not doing your job. It's just you're trying to manage all the needs of all the residents and you do the best that you can. Can you give an example maybe? Ooh. Only only if you have one. Um, I don't want to put you on the spot. I was going to say, I honestly don't have one. Oh, that, that's totally fine. No, that's totally <laughs> fine. Um, yeah, I saw one of your coworkers present at the CTRA conference in, was it Dartmouth in 2018? Yeah. And I think Brilliant. that's who um, Jerry Singleton put me in contact with who connected me with you. Yes, because I was yeah. like, that's amazing. I'm glad I came to this presentation. The programs sound awesome. Like I want to go to all of them on a little Mm -hmm. tourism retreat. Um, So I was working in Saskatchewan for two and a half years and residential schools were still open there until the mid nineties. I'm ignorant. So I'm guessing that was a thing in the Yukon as well. Yeah. Do you know, do you know when um, up until when? I honestly can't recall a date off um, the top of my head, but it is a topic that um, comes up quite often within a long-term care setting. Yeah, because I worked quite a bit with Indigenous populations in Saskatchewan um, in Community Plus and Hospital. And yes, yes, there's a lot of trauma and different um, building sizes and environments can be very triggering. Um, Yes which is sad. It is sad. I mean, one thing that I will try or will say that we do try to do within the Yukon here and like, there's so much work to go towards that, that um, yeah, there's a lot of steps that we need to take, but we do try to make sure that we have artwork um, surrounding the hallways with a variety of um, cultures acknowledged and um, we also try to do display cases that try to make the environment and atmosphere feel more homelike but with the nature of our job it or with the buildings that we work within um, it is very very challenging to make those atmospheres feel more welcoming um, in those situations. And is there a lot of immigration? Like, is cost of living pretty low um, in the Yukon? Uh, um, no. Okay. I would say, I, would say the co- I mean, we do have, don't get me wrong, we do have a lot of um, different cultures, um, beside, like First Nations for sure. Um, we have a very um, large Filipino community. Um, I'm trying to think of more off the top of my head. Um, But yeah, there is a lot of variety for cultural representation here. But I do think that the cost of living is quite high. And it is one of our struggles when it comes to 
maintaining staff or obtaining students per se. Maybe that, and you don't have to say it all, but maybe um, the pay is higher there to retain because I know in Saskatchewan, the pay is higher than say in BC, even though the cost of living in BC is higher. <laughs> yes, the pay is higher up here in the Yukon, but um, I have noticed that things just seem to keep increasing, even though the pay is higher, higher um, expenses seem to keep increasing, um, unfortunately, which makes it really hard for people to make a shift um, in living. So, Okay, well, those were all my thoughts on that question, so we can move on. <laughs> um, we'll see how many more thoughts I have. I don't know. Um, my tea's kicking in. So what are... <laughs> What are some of the biggest challenges to programming? You may have already spoke about this a bit, but is this yeah. unique to the Yukon, do you think? So one of the biggest, I don't know if all of them are necessarily unique for the Yukon, but one of the biggest challenges for recreation programming here is just the staff turnover. Unfortunately, this happens for many uncontrollable reasons, whether it's people going off to school to continue into a different profession, retirement, um, even moving on to new locations or new job opportunities. But um, to qualify for positions such as a recreation therapy assistant, staff need to obtain an education elsewhere in order to qualify for the job as we don't have a program here at the local university yet that supports the needed diploma or certification that you need in order to qualify for the job. Um, this can make the hiring process very lengthy as most of our staff have had to move from elsewhere in Canada and advocating um, for the skill sets needed to facilitate recreation programs can also be a struggle. Um, when you're looking at risk management, um, as well as doing task analysis, that can be really helpful when you're trying to support these arguments on why we need recreation therapy assistance to have certain qualifications to be able to um, facilitate and implement the programs that the recreation therapists um, create and develop. Um, I also mentioned that locating um, housing and the expenses of living, of moving up north can be a major challenge here. And the other thing that I would mention is just trying to educate, which I think probably a lot of long-term care facilities experience, is just providing the education of the difference between what a therapeutic program is versus an activity and the different steps that we take to make where residents are focusing on specific goals versus just a leisurely activity that they complete within an afternoon. Um, one example I like to use is baking. Anyone can participate in baking and complete baking, but when you look at it from a therapeutic, when we organize it from a therapeutic perspective, we're looking at a variety of adaptations, whether it's enlarging the lettering of the recipe so that one resident's job is reading out the different steps to what it takes to complete the recipe or making sure that we have adaptive tools like a rubber bottom bowl where a resident can have a better grasp or handle on the bowl so that they are able to stir properly and maintain that um, coordination with their hands. Um, we just look at it from a bit of a different perspective and I don't know if 
everyone always sees that lens. And so that can be a bit of a struggle when trying to advocate for specific qualifications for staff per se. Um, depending on the type of program, structure criteria that the residents need to be able to meet can sometimes be challenging when you're trying to work on specific recreation goals for each resident, as well as having multiple levels of abilities that require a lot of multiple adaptations can sometimes change the focus of the program as well as the staffing level ratio of what's needed, depending on how challenging is. And yeah, uh, depending on those circumstances, like looking at the goals, if I'm focusing on something that is very goal oriented, where I want something specific to be accomplished, I'll usually structure it where we have very similar abilities. However, I also like doing um, programs where we have multiple abilities because it, sometimes I have residents that ask me for goals that they wanna be able to help others. And so it gives an opportunity for partnering up with other residents and helping them through whatever puzzle we're doing for the brain game or helping them through a craft project and following those step-by-step -step, um, directions. And then also just building setup and structure can propose unique challenges based on um, the physical structures as well as the specialized unit needs. It can be a benefit in some cases, but in other cases, it can also alter the number of staff needed for program as well as how the program is designed. Does that make sense? Yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, I'll also say that, well, you know that Douglas College has an online diploma now, so that might help yes. for education. And then mm -hmm. the University of Lethbridge has the online degree. Yeah, and we've actually had a couple. We've had a couple folks come from Lethbridge College, but we are aware of the Lethbridge um, University, and so that has been a great opportunity for some of our recreation therapy assistants. And then, if I'm, I believe we have one UConnor right now that's actually in the diploma program through the Douglas Online program. So. Nice. Yeah, even in Saskatchewan and Saskatoon, like they have the University of Regina, but there I knew of two people that were living in Saskatoon and were doing their online university um, with Lethbridge. Mm -hmm. And like we've proposed the idea because like through the Yukon University, they have the nursing home attendance program and we've proposed the idea of trying to get an established program of some kind for like a recreation therapy assistant to help um with that turnover but right now it's just an idea and trying to get that ball rolling would take lots of steps at this time but it's something that we always have on the back burner for if anyone wants to pursue it eventually and run with it I feel like every province wants a specific rec TA um <laughs> yeah. Class, like, because you know how Alberta has um, PTA, OTA schooling? Exactly. Yeah. Like, I think that's that's a dream of many provinces. So good luck. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. We are well aware of it. I think right now the main thing is just advocating for how um, challenging the job can be, because I don't think everyone recognizes that necessarily. And so it, advocating for our recreation therapy assistants and the tasks that they have to handle can be quite challenging and I think some people don't recognize it until they try 
um, helping us with a program and recognize all the aspects that we need to look into in order to keep residents safe. Yeah, I think education definitely leads to better client care. And it's obvious when you're running a group with people who um, have sort of a standard of education. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so from your experience, do you see different expectations? Uh, Sorry, I'm just going to move my phone so I can see better. From your experience, do you see different expectations working for the government? So versus a health authority, private or nonprofit in your role, uh, government rec T positions appear to be more common in more rural parts of Canada. Like I know in Saskatchewan, there was government positions, but in BC, like I've never heard of any government rec therapy positions. Yeah. So when I got to this question, I find that all the platforms that you listed there, whether it's government, health authority, private nonprofits, they all have their pros and cons to how they approach recreation therapy. Um, I would say working for the government has a lot of similarities to working within a health authority with the regards to um, the standards and expectations that are identified through policies and are created to protect the safety of staff members as well as the residents that you're caring for. With my past experience of working with a nonprofit or private agency, I find sometimes these standards and expectations aren't always the top priority due to multiple factors, whether it is limited funding or maybe the individuals that are um, leading the organization aren't aware um, of some of the awareness around risks and safety measures. And or sometimes it can be limited Um, education and training um, awareness regarding the specific jobs and roles and yeah I find that can be a big challenge whereas working within the government or health authority where you do have those policies to back you up just allows the residents to feel more safe as long with the family members but as well as a worker it makes you feel more safe that you're able to abide by these standards but you um, to provide if needed. Um, a major difference that I also notice working for the government versus a health authority and nonprofit is just the abundance of resources. And I think that probably is specific to the Yukon. I'm not a hundred percent sure in comparison to the rest of Canada, but within the Yukon, every long-term care facility, like I said, has access to physiotherapists, an occupational therapist, a speech and language pathologist, social workers, recreation therapists, rehab assistants, and recreation therapy assistants on either a daily or for some other therapies, three days a week basis. Whereas when I was working for the health authority um, in BC, there was one recreation therapist, one occupation therapist, occupational therapists and one physiotherapist who were responsible for covering three long-term care facilities that ranged from uh, 98 caseload to 50 person caseload. And these long-term care facilities weren't within the same region. Like sometimes they were like three hours apart from each other and they were responsible for covering those on a regular basis. I mean, they were lucky where they did have, most of them had a rehab assistant and a couple activity workers who were scheduled daily for programs, but because the Yukon has an abundance of those resources, it allows us to 
have more time to customize our programs and reflect the needs of person-centered care, which is pretty awesome and provides a lot of really neat collaboration opportunities with the other therapists. I feel like when I get to the age where I'm in a home, I would just like to be in the Yukon. We get that a lot. (laughs) (laughs) For the programs and the care. It sounds wonderful. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like the Yukon, like we still do struggle with um, certain things that you need to accomplish um, for liability reasons, which is great because it is great to provide the safety for both the resident and um, the staff member. But those standards, even though they can be troublesome and um, take quite some time, it is really important to follow up and abide by those. So being a certified therapeutic recreation specialist, um, do you find CEU opportunities challenging to access in the Yukon? And how do you get your CEUs? So this was an interesting question. Prior to COVID, finding CEU opportunities that were recreation therapy specific and focused were quite challenging. The Yukon government is really great in the sense that they provide a lot of great education opportunities for things like First Nations cultural awareness and education, flourishing, which is similar to learning about the state of flow, palliative care training, critical thinking, and ethical decision-making. However, when it comes to applying for CEUs, these aren't necessarily always guaranteed as courses that would be approved by CEUs. It kind of depends. Um, And many of us local professionals often would depend on webinars and online opportunities from whatever Canadian professional membership or even NCTRC at times um, was supporting with webinars and online opportunities. I did have the pleasure of attending a conference or a CTRA conference prior to online formats, which was a great way to connect with other professionals, as I'm sure you've experienced with some of the networking that you've done. However, traveling from the north, um, these expenses can add up quite quickly. And we do have quite a few professionals within um, the government. And so trying to decide who gets to go what year, um, it can be a challenge as well. Since COVID, though, Many opportunities have opened up online and we've been able to tune in for like a reasonable cost. And our employer has actually been very supportive of these training opportunities as we can usually fit in amongst our work schedule and discuss how these learnings could benefit the recreation therapy department as a whole, as well as um, the whole care team in some circumstances. This year alone, I was able to tune in to the Canadian Therapeutic Recreation Association Conference, as well as the Utah Recreation Therapy um, Association Conference online, where it made it super reasonable to obtain um, CEUs. And I think I got like, I'm close to my five-year maximum just within this year alone. So for the Uh, hours wise. What CTRA conference did you go to? uh the Kelowna one uh, I didn't go to that one I went to Vegas instead because that was the year I graduated <laughs> oh nice that's exciting it uh, was re- I have I have to admit it was really exciting one to go back to just because it had a lot of um, memberships from BC attend that conference and it was nice to see some of the past 
um, professors as well as individuals that you've contacted and networked with for other opportunities. Yeah, I still keep in touch with um, much of my classmates. Um, yeah. I'm sure you're going to hear through BCTRA because I think you're a member. Um, Serena from VCH sent out a poster about a Dr. Colleen Hood two-hour education in February that's virtual. Oh. Um, but I can forward that to you as well because, yeah, it's a $30 fee, which is amazing. Um, yeah, that would be great. And it's Dr. Colleen Hood. So, <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I did see your name at the BCTRA AGM a couple of weeks ago and wonder if there is an appetite for a CTRA chapter in the territories. Um, do you think that might be of benefit? And if so, what are the challenges? So um, this question kind of took me down memory lane a little bit because I definitely think it would be a benefit um, of the Yukon Territory, um, especially that we've noticed that there has been an increased um, in RT professionals within the area over the last few years. We discussed this back in 2017 slash 2018 after I came back from the conference on how it would be a great addition um, for advocating for our profession, even the and even got to the point of determining a couple of contacts that potentially could assist with the creating process based on their experience of building their chapters out east. However, the trouble that we really went that we really ran into was finding the time to provide the appropriate dedication to that project, um, like it needs. Because at that time, we only knew of five professionals and in order in order to make something like this happen um it has to be during non-work hours for one and I think it needs to include more individuals as many of us know the more hands in the process make a little bit of lighter work and it also just deepens the um role of the team I find it's still on the table for the future, I believe, um, especially like I said, that we have more professionals in the territory. I just think we need to open it up and see if there is any other professionals that we're not aware of and um, see how we can make things happen. So um, I was on the Saskatchewan Manitoba chapter board and there was maximum two people from Manitoba. I think the last year I was on there was only one person from Manitoba. Um, so maybe like a joint chapter with all the territories. Like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think like a couple of our um, profession, RT professionals have contacts with some of the other territories. And so when the time comes, it would be great to collaborate and establish something. Especially because everything's so virtual now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, do you know of how many therapists work in the Yukon? And can you give some context about the region's population supported? Mm -hmm. So when I thought about it, um, I think there's approximately 10 to 15 professionals that I know of working within the Yukon. Um, majority of the populations I know of include long-term care within our um, long-term care facilities right now. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, I think believe seven RT recreation therapists working 
um, within long-term care. And then um, we do know of some other professionals that are working within a different position, but do hold their recreation therapy um, certification and um, use it within their current position, but maybe not the same way as you would when working as a full-time recreation therapist. Um, as part of the Yukon, like I said, um, one of the challenges is resources for folks of differing populations. We often, like I said before, have a variety of different diagnoses within long-term care. It's just not your typical dementia or um, uh, physical abilities. We actually have quite a few folks that could use mental health resources and support, but there's just not those supports within the community. And so we sometimes find a lot of misplaced individuals, more so because they need some kind of help somehow and we seem to have the with what we have right now in the Yukon we have the best structure to support those needs but it's not the same thing as if they were in BC and could get assistance from a mental health association um, with resources and so I think that's where there's a lot of gaps in the Yukon that we could um, use up here. And the other thing is when you brought up um, the topic of job titles, um, I feel like there's a variety of recreation positions within different part departments that get referred to as program coordinators or um, city work or how did it city program coordinators, um, even outdoor. Um, adventure specialist for a variety of camps and because they don't have that recreation therapy job title it's very challenging to try and discover um, where some of those other individuals might be. Um, the other um, side of things that I know where we have some recreation therapists is in our hospice organization. Nice. So you don't have any uh, fun coaches? Because I saw that's a position on Indeed right now in BC for a fun coach. Just one second, Mary. I can't talk. I'm on the phone at the moment. <laughs> um, sorry about that. No, that's um, totally fine. I, I actually <laughs> feel like, yeah, I might have got it interrupted too but it didn't happen so that's good (laughs) so what was your question again oh no fun coaches because I saw on um indeed here in BC there is a position for a fun coach oh no we don't have any fun coaches no no fun coaches up here but I have been I have been referred to as a fun therapist at times in my position um which I got a little bit of a chuckle at that was a resident um retitling my job well, that's a positive positive thing I I was called um the coffee cart girl by some nurses in hospital which um really pissed me off actually <laughs> oh yeah we've all been there done that had those lovely inquiries and, and they couldn't they couldn't understand why and I was like I, I didn't go to school for four years to uh be called the coffee cart girl yeah <laughs> but, we understand 
that's my little outrage there. Um, okay, so what did long-term care look like during COVID, which is still happening um, in the Yukon, as it obviously doesn't have the healthcare services available as um, as more popular parts of Canada? So, how did virtual get utilized, and support programs, and social connections? Yeah. Um, so, like you said or alluded to in your question um, here in the Yukon we do have limited emergency health resources in comparison to some of the other areas in Canada like Vancouver and such um, and so I would acknowledge that we were very cautious um, and as we I mean a community we were very cautious and had precautions in place to protect residents staff family members and community um, members due to those circumstances. Um, similarly to other programs in Canada, our volunteer program was put on hold um, for the majority of COVID. We are hoping that volunteers will be able to come back in in the soon future um, to provide support for our residents as that is a part of our program that we really do miss. Um, staff often here in the Yukon um, will work between buildings. Um, however, to minimize crossover, staff are required to work out of one primary building and then communicate slash assist through other buildings virtually, which required a lot of adaptations. And it did um, propose struggles. So like I at the start of COVID, I was responsible for two facilities and it was really challenging because I had my um, 48 bed facility. That was my primary facility I worked at, but then there was also a 10 bed facility um, that was a little bit more independent that I also was responsible for, but I had to provide guidance through phone or email and you just miss that rapport with the residents too. And so that was, I think, a challenge for um, many individuals within um, the Yukon here. Um, rec teams or rec creation teams were also needing to take on more responsibilities and tasks that aren't typical responsibilities and tasks of a recreation therapy assistant or a recreation therapist. And so obviously we all wanna step in and be a big part of that team. But at the same time, um, I feel like some of those tasks just kept piling up. And at times it did seem overwhelming. Community involvement is really big here in the Yukon. And um, it was a bit of a struggle at the beginning, just because we were limited to going on drives for outings and um, had to be cautious. But um, as time went on we developed systems and ways of um, ways of uh, running programs oh. yeah well ways of running programs but as well as ways of um, putting in safety measures and putting in proposals to different teams where we could get approved to go on different um, opportunities that made things a little bit better for um residents we also had to do like the appropriate spacing on buses and things like that and make sure that you were properly hand sanitizing um slash sanitizing all the different services surfaces um which 
I think, I mean, yeah, it was a little bit of extra work, but not too much extra work and kept everyone safe. Um, the one thing that was a big struggle was just number that we were able to include for programs. And so depending on certain room capacities, we would be capped at 12 people within a room. So I could have two recreation therapy assistants facilitating a program for 10 residents, whereas some of our programs in the past were up to like 20 and 25 residents if it was some sort of entertainment performance type of thing, right? Um, virtual programs, yes, use of virtual programs were very key um, during COVID. And it actually was a really neat opportunity to connect with different places amongst Canada and I, or even the States. Um, I think there was just a lot of opportunities out there, whether it was going and seeing the Vancouver Aquarium virtually or nice. um, museums. Um, at Christmas time, we looked up a variety of Christmas lights tours that showcased Bouchard Gardens in Victoria and it showcased a couple other light shows in the Vancouver area as well as some across Canada and Ontario that um, were really neat for residents to um, experience. We also had community members as well as communities across Canada contact us on specialized virtual performances that they thought long-term care would benefit from which was really cool whether it was music or um, some kind of show that they were putting on um, which was neat um, virtual visits with family definitely were a big thing it was really neat that we got ipads for each of the units and were able to establish those visits for um, residents and their loved ones i did laugh as my position became the tech guru and I never knew I was going to be so techie until COVID hit. I learned how to use every single virtual platform <laughs> that has Ditto. been created. And now it's a great skill set, though, that I feel like we can utilize to continue connecting residents with their loved ones, whether they're locally or across at another destination across the world. Um, so that was really cool. And it gave us the opportunity to be creative and think of adaptations for some of like our typical programs and holiday events, which has been challenging, but yet fun in the process that I think we can use in our um, toolbox for future needs. Yeah, I actually um, facilitated a virtual exercise group, a seated or standing for some people, strength and stretch group. And it was through a different platform through the Saskatchewan Health Authority called PECSIP. So I had, nice. and I was working with um, primarily older adults with chronic health conditions in the community. And mm -hmm. so trying to teach a lot of these people with like dementia and all this stuff, how to use it, remember to sign on, get, like just the extra work. But I, yeah. they just like loved it. And so many of them would benefit from it anyways because they couldn't get out of home but I'm not sure if you're familiar with NeuroSask but it's a virtual exercise group um that yes I, you are okay I love it yeah. well it sounds I've heard the name before I haven't actually used it though oh it's so good it's a seated exercise group run by a physiotherapist from the University of Saskatchewan half an hour of okay. it is exercise half an hour of it is an education with a specialist like one of my co-workers a rec therapist went on and talked about art but um oh, even I let clients here know um, about it, um, like with MS or something that would benefit because 
it's just a really well done program and I'm so glad that they're still offering it I'll send you the information yeah um, that would be great yeah and then as, do- you, as you know uh, Matt Jackson from the BCTRA he offers online um, services as well through Jackson Therapeutic yeah for sure And yeah, those are definitely good resources to consider. That would be one thing that I would say UConn did benefit from. I know some uh, facilities across Canada had to basically shut down to the point where um, residents weren't necessarily allowed to leave their rooms. Whereas here in the Yukon, we were lucky enough with the precautions that we had in place. Residents within the facility, we were able to try and make life as norm as possible that we could. So they were still able to go to their dining rooms for meals. They weren't necessarily able to go to all the programs that they once attended, but programs with individuals in person still were happening and staff in person were facilitating them. So we did get a big benefit in that retrospect. And the community was huge and has been huge still with helping us create opportunities um, for residents. I know I saw an article, I think in Alberta, where horses were going and giving window visits. And we had a similar opportunity here where um, one of the societies had brought in two of their ponies And they got to do pony visits out in the back courtyards. But then we also took the ponies to each individual's room where if a resident was in bed for that day, they were able to um, see that. Yeah. And we even had like theater programs who build life-size human puppets come and do um, window parades around the facility which was really great and we often have intergenerational programming that is quite um, often throughout our programs during the school year and we noticed that residents were missing that aspect and so we got creative and thought of new opportunities of ways that we could work with um, the kids that we typically have come visit us at the facilities or who we go to visit at the schools. And so at Halloween time, the last couple of years, they've done a Halloween parade where all the kids come in their costumes and residents are able to interact through the windows. And then we've done pen pal opportunities with a variety of um, individuals and families in the community that the boys and girls club helped organize. And so, yeah, it was challenging, but I think the, community really has stepped up to make things um, pleasant and possible for everyone. Even nowadays, we have um, community businesses shutting down for private events so that residents can come and participate um, in a safe manner when public isn't attending the building at the same time. So it's pretty awesome. That's cool. Was there any um, outbreaks in your facilities? Um, yes, there have been outbreaks, but not until this fall. And both the outbreak, not at the Thompson Center, but both outbreaks that happened at the facilities um, were managed and controlled in a very short time period where I think they were on lockdown for a month, maybe, maybe a little bit longer than a month. I feel like outbreak was used very, like, because I mean, there was outbreaks where like many people died in long term care, but then there was outbreaks mm-hmm. where it was like two staff tested positive. And that was, yeah. Enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And so like, that was one thing I would commend the Yukon for. They had, um, we went through practice rounds on how we would, um, address these type of situations and through that planning, um, that everyone put effort into, it really made, um, the process. You could, it, you could see it in the results of how quickly we were able to manage a situation and overcome that situation within the facilities. So that was really neat. Good. Well, we just have two questions left. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing okay. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> okay, good. Because I said before we, we started recording, I have one large tea and one large glass of water and I'm down to half a large glass of water. This, this is my regular liquids for the podcast. Um, okay. So what is, what does your role look like volunteering with the special Olympics in the Yukon and how does your background in rec tea, uh, shape your volunteering? So in special Olympics, uh, here in the Yukon, I have the pleasure of being an assistant coach for the special Olympic soccer team. And I've been their coach for the past uh, or I've assisted with the team for the past six years. I've always had a love working with this population and skills and maintaining those abilities and helping them stay motivated to be active and participating in adaptive sport or recreation. And I find, like you mentioned in my um, intro. Don't get me wrong. I love look. I love working for long term care. But if you ask me back when I was a student at Douglas College, I kind of pictured myself um, working within more of the intellectual um, disabilities and adaptive sport um, population and group. And so this way, it allows me to fulfill those needs. Um, so I still have that spark. Um, and my goodness, it provides so much meaning. Um, I've taken these folks on traveling competitions to um, BC, as well as all the way to Antigonish when we went for nationals a few years ago, and just trying to help athletes adapt to those routines and environments. I think there's a lot of crossover um, with my background as a recreation therapist and making sure that each athlete handles different situations um, and circumstances um, differently. And so recognizing the special quirks that they need um, to manage a situation like that has been great. Um, it helps maintain, yeah, my skill sets um, within the area of recreation therapy, whether it's um, communication skills and using nonverbal communication as well as verbal communication. Um, I've learned sign language techniques um, for individuals so that they can communicate their specific needs to me recognizing different motivation techniques that work well, adapting um, certain skill sets and doing task analysis um, so that each athlete is successful and 
we identify goals that they want to work towards within the season. And it also gives me an opportunity to educate fellow coaches and volunteers, whether it's on how do you complete a proper transfer safely where you're not going to injure yourself or the athlete that you're working with or um, community, what is each athlete's best way of communicating their needs um, or accomplishing um, different skills. Um, It also is my way of giving back to my community. I grew up within an environment where my parents were very involved within our community as kids. And I find similarly to what they once did for me, sport has always been a very high value um, within our lifestyle and same with the arts actually. And um, I've always lived by one of my father's mottos or mottos, I guess you'd say. Um, And that's, we play hockey for the fun of it. We were a very big hockey family um, back in BC, but I find this motto transitions to all sports related that it's about making it fun and enjoyable on whatever you're doing and um yes competition is there but the most important thing is that all of your team members are working together to have fun yeah i volunteered with vancouver power soccer for four years and Mm -hmm very meaningful. I was never a big sport person. Now I, now I'm on a recreation curling team, but, um, very impressive. I was, yeah, (laughs) it's, it's yeah. Honestly, I can be having a bad day for whatever reason. And I go to soccer practice and they can change that bad day into a good day. Um, so it's the athletes make it just as meaningful as the coaches make it. So it's really empowering. All right. Well, we're at our last question. So um, where do you see the profession in 10 years in the Yukon and how can it get there? Yes. Very good question. Um, So I think I've highlighted some of these points throughout our discussion. Um, But one of the things that I would like to see within the next 10 years is a member association within the Yukon which like you said, maybe that incorporates trying to connect with other territorial um, members and organizations to see if we can do a group combined thing or even just starting the word and getting the word out that we would like to start this type of organization. I also would like to see, or I hope in the next 10 years, we get to see more opportunities for recreation therapy programs within the community supporting mental health and adaptive sport and recreation, developmental and intellectual programming, um, whether that's through um, starting a business or educating organizations on what a recreation therapist does, because I find a lot of them don't understand what we do for a work or role. And we could really benefit in a lot of areas. And so I think the advocating is a big thing um, for here in the Yukon. And I think, yeah, those are kind of, I would say those are quite big topics. And so those would be two main things that I would like to see um, within the next 10 years. And it'd be great to see, I I have a dream that. Oh, well, I have a dream where I can see opportunities where, 
no matter who your friend is or whom your family member is, everyone has the opportunity to participate in recreation together. And sometimes that looks like having more adaptive tools that might be um, owned by the community per se that families can rent out on a regular basis, whether it's the trail rider so that they can explore the mountain areas of the Yukon or an adaptive bike that um, volunteers can take residents out in wheelchairs so that they can cruise around the Millennium Trail pathway where they get to be close to the Yukon River or finding a way where we can get residents on the tough pathways where all the cranberries grow like it to see Yukoners being able to appreciate the Yukon lifestyle um, no matter what ability they have is kind of a dream. Well, I feel like you may have recruited some people to the Yukon. I'm, I'm, <laughs> never, I'm never personally leaving BC again, but um, I think advocating. You could come visit. <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid to. <laughs> I want to, but I'm afraid. I was uh, able, hey, I was able to start off by visiting the Yukon first, and then I was able to go back to BC. It wasn't until a few months later that they recruited no, me. No, no, I see what happened to you. Yeah, I see. <laughs> it's like, it's like a cult, um, a good cult. But no, I think advocacy and education is like a lifelong thing, no matter where you are for rec therapy. And yeah, that can just be done through positive mentorship, and then also just practicing to your standards of practice. Um, yeah. yeah, that'll never go away. Um, no. I really enjoyed our discussion, actually, because we talked for an hour and a half. So that's obvious. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> and <laughs> do you have anything that we didn't talk about that you might want to add or? Um, not really. I mean, yeah, that kind of gives a little bit of a sum up of what recreation therapy is like in the Yukon. One cool thing is that we do have a research project that's currently going on right now through a fellow recreation therapist who's looking into um, mental health and the benefits of recreation therapy or the benefits that recreation therapy can have specifically with um, regards to COVID and how that experience has impacted many's mental health um and so that's really cool and exciting and maybe that's something else um that I could add to my hope and wish list for 10 years to come is that there is more um research opportunities that can um acknowledge the different works that happen within the Yukon or the different opportunities that we could take advantage of um and make more prominent yeah and I think like getting it published is huge so like the Canadian <laughs> PRJ which actually my next guest is um the co-editor no she's the editor-in-chief Dr. Lauren Cripps from the okay. PRJ and then also um as you listen to the previous podcast from the TRO journal um mm -hmm. yeah so what's the what's the rec therapist name that's doing the research um Lauren Ray nice she would probably be interested in the Dr. Colleen Hood education thing. Yes. Also. 
Um, okay. Well, it's later there and we've talked lots and I really enjoyed it. Um, so I look forward to meeting you in the future and I'm glad we had a chance to talk about all this. I look forward to meeting you as well. And thank you for the opportunity. It was really great. Yeah, this was awesome. So have a good night and I will send you the recording uh, once it's uploaded. Sounds good. Thanks, Mary. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.